Good afternoon, everyone, um, and welcome to yeah, welcome to everybody who's in the room. Uh, so we have a nice, a nice big group of people, and also welcome to those uh, on the on the live streaming. Um, so I think many of you will have heard me speak in various contexts before. Uh, some as a student at UCT, and some here at conventions. Uh, and uh, I think probably will never have seen me with pieces of paper in my hand. Um, I usually, you know, walk around and use my arms a lot and that sort of thing. Uh, but today feels a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and I think maybe the way that I can explain that is um, by referring to actually a, a message I got last night that included the following quote, which, which felt very, it, it felt very resonant. And the quote is, uh, is from Tom Stoppard, and it says, words are sacred. They deserve respect. If you get the right ones in the right order, you can nudge the world a little. It's quite, a, it's quite an onerous quote, right? Because it's, uh, and, it, and it captures the anxiety that I've, I've felt in the, in the run-up to this talk about choosing the right words. So the reason that I have pieces of paper is because I've chosen my words carefully uh, in the hope that I can, I can walk a, a tricky line in, in what is a, a big and emotive topic. I have one more quote for you, uh, and that comes from Leonard Cohen. Um, he says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So I ask you to accept my words today as an, as an offering to you. Uh, they come from a place of, of deep caring about the future of the profession. Uh, it's far from a perfect offering. Uh, and there isn't ever one truth, uh, but what I want to share with you today is my truth. So before I get stuck in, uh, I want to be clear about what it is that I mean by transformation. Transformation of the profession, to my mind, encompasses demographic change, but is certainly not limited to it. It's also about institutional culture, uh, as Dave, Dave referred to, and about ways of being in the profession. It's also, as one friend put it, changing the content of what actuaries do. And I think in some ways that, that really gets to the heart of it. Transformation seeks to answer the question, what is the relationship between actuarial science and privilege? Transformation is by no means limited to issues of race. Systems of discrimination and disadvantage overlap and are intrinsically linked. It is impossible in 20 minutes, or 18 minutes, uh, to recap our history and how it is that we have arrived in the South Africa of 2016. As you listen today, Remember that the inequality that we face in South Africa today has its roots in a long, dark history of oppression and violence. We carry in our psyches, all of us, not just the scars of our own experience, but also the echoes of scars that have passed down through generations. There are three things that I would like to leave you with at the end of the talk today. The first is disillusionment. The second is discomfort. And the third, the desire to do something. I'm going to start by talking about disillusionment, and I'll finish with some ideas of, of what it is that you can do to make a difference. I'm guessing that the discomfort will take care of itself. Suffice to say that engaging with transformation is a trajectory. Um, the, from my own perspective, watching what has gone on in, on campuses around our country, engaging with the, the Feast Must Fall movement has led to my own shifts in thinking uh, over the last little while. Um, and movement along that trajectory requires having your thinking challenged, uh, and hence discomfort is necessary. So let's start with disillusionment. In the Buddhist and Hindu traditions, um, of, of, from where I come, I guess, uh, disillusionment is actually a good thing. 
Um, it's about removing illusions. And what that means is that it's about allowing us to see things as they are. We often associate disillusionment with disappointment when we realize that things are not as we expect them to be. Hence, we avoid the truth and cling to our misconceptions of the world around us. So there are two illusions that I would like to talk about. The first is that we, as a profession, are doing a good enough job on the transformation front. It's true that we have some good transformation projects on the go. We have leadership that expresses a commitment to transformation. We have spaces for Osaba and for a newly qualified actuary on council. We have a few more black actuaries than we used to. But when it comes to institutional culture, I think we're in serious trouble. If we learn one, one thing from the Feast Must Fall campaign, it is this. Racism, sexism, and other isms are perpetuated by institutions. They are perpetuated by power structures, by history, by cultural norms, by media representation. Institutions, like universities and professions, play an important role in perpetuating ways of being. Stereotypes, as Dave referred to, are these oversimplified ideas about groups of people, prejudice, negative feelings about those groups of people, and discrimination, where we act on our prejudices, are entrenched through hierarchies and power structures. They are sociological in nature. We have to recognize that throughout our profession, power resides in white male hands. Chief actuaries, CEOs, chairs of committees, the ASA office, white and male are our normative. A real actuary looks a certain way, speaks a certain way, thinks a certain way. I don't have anything against white men per se, my husband being a case in point, um, <laughs> but they, uh, they lack the direct experience and hence have to rely on empathy to drive the change needed in the profession. When we perpetuate the status quo, we risk slowing down the transformation process. We have just had a presidential election where there were two black candidates up for election, and none of the white candidates made any reference to transformation in their election manifestos. Our choice, we the profession, the record numbers who voted, say something about what we value, who we trust, and our burning issues. The net effect of slow transformation is that new graduates find themselves in workplaces that are alien and alienating. They have difficulty relating because they are not the norm. Young black professionals don't just get to be themselves in the workplace. They are ambassadors, representatives of their race. Women find themselves being mansplained to. Look it up if you don't know what that means. Uh, language over lunch is far from inclusive. Our most important work on financial inclusion happens outside of formal structures. The most woke amongst us leave the profession. The second illusion that I want to talk to you about is this idea that we, have, we still have time to sort this out. Our universities ran out of runway. We will too. I don't tell you this to make you afraid. I tell you this so that you won't continue to be complacent. There are genuine reasons why transformation is a slow process, but the excuses we use can be smoke and mirrors to protect existing power structures or can simply, and or, I guess, can simply fuel complacency. Words like excellent uh, and world-class help create a false dichotomy. Our choice is not between transformation or excellence. Our choice has to be to embrace both, wholeheartedly and with vigor. If we don't act, impatience and bottled rage may force our hand. 
For a long time, UCT hid behind the long pipeline for a black professoriate. The parallels between the UCT rhetoric, which I'm very familiar with, and the rhetoric of the actuarial profession are striking. Bongani Mayosi, who is now the dean of the health sciences faculty at UCT, was one of the few who argued that fast-tracking professors was key to transformation. It's important to understand that when he talked about fast-tracking, he did not mean lowering standards. What he meant was that you needed a clear and pragmatic strategy uh, in order to, to make up time. He talked about, fund he had a very clear, he had a four-part strategy, very clearly articulated. He talked about funding, he talked about opportunities for exposure, he talked about ways of freeing up time and ways of creating new sets of choices. Our complacency is evident in our slow progress. It doesn't just reside in the structures of the professional body, but also in our places of work. Professor Mayosi also said, talent, fortunately, is evenly distributed. But we must make sure that talent meets opportunity so that it can flourish. His is ultimately a hopeful message, and one, for him, that has borne fruit. So what is it that we can do? Institutions are made up of people. That means that transformation is both personal and political. The upside of our dire state is that there is a lot of scope to do better. So there are three ideas that I would like to put forward that I think will help us to move ahead. Inclusion, conversation, and awareness. The inclusion test is a very good way to check whether a process is transformative or not. I'm going to give you two examples from my own experience. I'm wary of sharing stories from others' experience, and hopefully uh, in the discussion afterwards, uh, perhaps some of those stories will emerge. Um, but I'm going to share two, two stories from my, my experience that I think illustrates uh, the idea of inclusion. The first story goes back to the last convention that was held here in Cape Town. The convention fell over Diwali, a consequence of limited data availability to book the CTICC. For those of you who don't know, Diwali is the most widely celebrated of Hindu holidays. In his opening address, the president didn't acknowledge that it was Diwali, nor did he wish Hindu members of the profession a happy Diwali. In an engagement after the convention where I raised this, I was told that this was a deliberate decision, not an oversight, because the profession didn't want to be seen to be favoring some religions over others and didn't want to set a precedent. This made me feel like my cultural identity wasn't seen, and it made me feel like I was less than. And I think this sort of thinking comes from a place of privilege where those who hold the power in the profession have never had to consider what it might feel like to attend a convention over Christmas, nor, have, nor not have well wishes extended to them. The second example relates to the role of white folk in transformation. Given that we share, the profession, share our professional spaces, it is self-evident that everyone has to be part of the transformation process. In an ideal world, those with power and privilege willingly pass on the baton, making space and are gracious. In a less ideal world, those with power and privilege are prey to their unconscious biases, are afraid of letting go, and attempt to control the transformation process. A few years back, ASA restructured their committees and in the process decided that the president-elect should chair the transformation committee. And so it was that the chairpersonship moved from a black person to a white person. When I wrote an email asking how this could be, I was told that it reflected the importance with which transformation is viewed. A valid argument, perhaps, 
but to those without agency and a voice in the profession, it feels an awful lot like perpetuation of power structures. Inclusion means everyone gets a voice, but we have to recognize the power dynamics that underpin racism and sexism, which means that some voices will ring louder than others. Some people will have more agency than others. We have to go out of our way to counterbalance, to create safe spaces, and to listen carefully. Inclusion isn't easy to achieve. It requires looking very carefully at processes. It requires transparency, and it requires honesty. And it means interrogating and breaking down power structures to truly share spaces and allow a range of voices to emerge, even when those voices make us uncomfortable. A friend pointed out that the current asset structures grant power to those who are older, and by definition, whiter. By doing so, we miss the wisdom that comes with living the daily life of someone who is black, someone who is excluded, and who has had the experience needed to change the profession. Practically, this means opening up the membership criteria of committees to include student members of the profession, and allowing student members of the profession to vote for council and for president. Live streaming today's session is a wonderful example of opening up a space for discussion. It literally extends the space to include those who would otherwise have been excluded. I would like to thank the president and the organizing committee for making this possible. But I also want to acknowledge the truth that it took some convincing to get here. More worryingly, the process to arrive at a decision was far from inclusive. It was a microcosm of the challenges that we face, of the opinions that count, the voices that hold sway, of who is included in a conversation and who is not. That leads me to the second idea, which is about conversation. Real, honest, brutally uncomfortable conversation. And you might say, don't we need to move on to doing things? Is this really about talking? Do we need more talking? Yes, we need more talking because we haven't been talking honestly. Um, if we had been talking honestly, it wouldn't be so hard for me to get up here and say what I want to say, because you would know this already, because we would have had these conversations already. So ask your colleagues about their lives. Understand the path that they have walked to get where they are. Build empathy. Ask questions. Be curious and open-hearted. Don't be quick to dismiss the experience of other people. Pay attention when black people and women speak in a meeting. And if you are inclined to talk over them, ask yourself why it is that you think that their opinions don't matter. Learn another language. Greeting someone in their, in their home language may just open up a conversation that wasn't possible before. Widen your social circle. Chances are your worldview is reverberating in an echo chamber. I think the US election taught us that, if nothing else. Uh, be open to disagreement. The longer we shy away from conflict on these deeply important issues, the longer it will take us to move forward. And that brings me to my last, the last of my three points, and that's about awareness. And it's both about self-awareness and awareness of others. Self-awareness is critical so that we can engage with notions of privilege. And importantly, so that we can surface biases that lie below the surface. Bring a lens of awareness of social justice to everything that you do. Think about the images you choose for your next presentation. Don't be the medical scheme that chooses an, icon, chooses an icon of a man for their principal member contributions and a woman for their adult dependent contributions. True story. Um, if you're involved with the curriculum, engage with the idea of decolonization, regardless of how uncomfortable it is. 
We should be teaching microinsurance and funeral insurance. We should be talking about premiums and product structures that recognize informal employment. We should be teaching social solidarity. One or two people who uh, are asked to, to have a look at what I wanted to say I said, but surely we are teaching these things. No, we're not. It hasn't entered our curriculum as yet. There are obviously individual teachers who bring it into the classroom, but we haven't systemized it. So there are concepts that I've referred to today, <clears throat> particularly privilege and decolonization, that you may feel that you don't fully understand. Each of these requires its own full discussion. And perhaps ASA will, will allow for some follow-on discussions from today where we can take the exploration further. I'm also happy to put together a list of resources for those wanting to read and learn more. These ideas and the way we engage with them affect every single one of us. The greatest illusion of all is that we can control the pace, the pace of change and the way in which change happens. We do not and we cannot. We need serious introspection about the very nature of who we are and the work we do, the products we design, the institutions we build, and the role we hold in South African society. As Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says, creating room for people is not only doable, it is a moral imperative. It is the moral imperative of our time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, both presentations make me very, very proud to be an actuary. I entered this profession because I wanted to solve difficult problems. And this is one of the most difficult problems that we face. Um, I think before we do the open the question and answer um, floor, uh, an apology. Apparently, Dave Strugnall's paper wasn't uploaded to, um, to, the, to, the, to the web page. So please, we would like to apologize for that. Um, but now we're open for questions. We have people who will be submitting questions from outside, and we have people who will be submitting questions inside. Now the question is, who's going to answer these questions? <laughs> Which is my question. So m maybe the people can decide whether they're making a comment or asking a question, and if you're asking of a specific person, uh, would you please do that? Otherwise, we might end up uh, not knowing who's actually going to respond. But I see a question here. Um, is there another mic? Uh, how many mics have we got? Two mics. Okay. There's a question here and a question there that I'm going to recognize. Um, we, do, we do have questions up here. The problem is I'm going to have to see all of these at once. So I don't, I don't quite understand how I'm going to do this. But um, let's start with, uh, with uh, your question. Um, mine is more of a comment, actually. Um, you see, the thing is that um, apartheid was more uh, about um, a belittling of an African mind. It had more to do with just kicking our parents and telling them not to do this, not to do that. Now, what that happened is that if someone's mind is belittled and crushed, you give birth to someone's mind, which is also belittled. Now, now what, that do, what that does is that you now have a wave of black people now. When they graduate, their minds are not yet transformed. They themselves, let's stop talking about the society transforming. The black people themselves, their minds are not transformed. 
they feel that if they speak English in a fancy accent, that means they are better. They feel that if they date outside the color bar, that means they are better. All those things were just manifestation of apartheid really crushing a black man's mind. Now, when you have a black mind already starting to think like that, and now they go into the workplace or into universities, and now they receive now a structural form of racism. Now that creates one hell of a ticking time bomb. You have people, they come, they get a job. First and foremost, they feel that it's a favor to get that job. They don't question anything. When they come into the workplace and they're speaking their vernacular mother tongue and a white person comes through, they stop, all of a sudden they start speaking in English as if it's a, it's a, it's a scene to speak in your own mother tongue. And now I put it to you that these things have reached a boiling point, for example, and fees must fall, Africans must fall. It's just a matter of time. These things are going to reach the workplace in, 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 in another fashion. And why do I say that? I'm one of those people who speaks a lot, and probably I know most of the actual professionals uh, around. And I dare say it, if you see an actual, graduate, actual graduates sitting around at a water tank speaking, do know that one of the first things that they're saying or speaking about is that whites earn more than blacks of the same experience, of the same number of exams. That is a conversation that is held almost every day, over lunch, over water. You can mention every day. So it's a burning feeling. It's one of the things that is out there. And we're just actually waiting for this bomb just to explode and... Uh, I don't know if we actually we're gonna be able to handle it, but it's it's one of those things. Equality, equal pay, those things actually just need some form of um, of attention that is extremely serious. Not not we should not um, like uh, cherry pick things and soften things and do codessa agreements and say negotiate things. We really need to approach things head on seriously. Time for negotiations is over. Thanks for that. I. I... I think you can feel the passion. I think that's important. Uh, I think we've had lots of interesting conversations in the past, but we've never felt how people feel. And I think that's what Brexit was about. That's what Trump was about. That's what Feels Must Fall is about. It's about feelings. How do people actually feel? And I think it's important for us as a, uh, as a profession to recognize that. Um, thank you for, for that comment. Uh, part of the issue, of course, is that um, in terms of salaries, if, if you're in an actuarial firm, you have to obviously think about what's happening. Are you paying people fairly according to their experience rather than gender or whatever? Uh, obviously, in corporates, actuaries don't necessarily control um, that situation. It's the corporate. So the, the, the work between what actuaries do and what corporates do is intertwined. But clearly, this is an issue um, around whether we are either not thinking about it, but are we being actually racist? Are we being sexist? Um, that was just a comment. I think there was a point. Uh, Mike is down there. Please uh, make your point. I recognize these, and that some of them are actually talking about salaries as well. Um, hi, everyone. Um, thank you very much, Dave, and thanks, Giovanni. That was actually really honest um, and quite nice. Um, I, I just have a question, not necessarily posing it to you, as I'm not sure that you're in the position to answer it. Um, but I'm just going to start off with a quick anecdote. Um, so this morning, it's my first convention ever. Um, so this morning I was uh, standing downstairs in the ballroom, I think, 
um, uh, with a colleague, and um, I was actually just, we were, we both just happened to look up and look at the room, and I was just taking in the sights or whatever, and um, um, he looks, he looks back and he says, um, the, the fall of the white male, um, he himself is a white male, and um, he, I suppose he was looking up and looking at the diversity in the room, um, and just happened to make that comment in passing that um, uh, as he's attended more and more conventions, the sort of the, the look of the room is changing. So my question um, is, I, I obviously have a vested interest in transformation, um, as do many people, and I would just like to know how do we go about uh, pushing the transformation agenda without making a white male feel like what we're trying to do is um, remove what r remove what is um, normal or uh, relatable for him. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody dreams of transforming the society to not look a certain way. I think it's about inclusivity and um, basically just having it a better representation of the country as a whole. We're not trying to eliminate white males. We're not trying to eliminate anyone, really. Um, but how do we avoid um, doing things in such a way that people can react in that way? Because I was really surprised by the comment. Um, I'm not sure how serious it was, but I hope that other people don't look at the room and think the same thing. Thanks. Um, okay, so I'll, I think I'll field that, that one. Um, I think you, you touch on, I think, quite a few really important ideas in, in, the, in your anecdote and in the, and in the, the question. Um, I think part of it is that the... I think the fear is real, you know? So as, as things change and as the pace of change hots up, not, not necessarily in the profession, but in our country, um, I, think, I think people are scared about how that change happens. And I think the truth is that we made the transition into the new South Africa without anybody really giving anything up. And, and I think we're getting to a point where that that issues has shifted, you know, and I think there are thoughts about, well, does, do people have to give something up for things to truly change? Um, I mean, and that, that can be, you know, if, if we look at education in South Africa and we look at how much money we spend, if we're going to try and spend the same amount on each school, does that mean spending some less money on some that were well-resourced? Or in healthcare, where, um, you know, the 16% of the population have access to truly world-class uh, healthcare, and the, the majority of South Africans don't. Um, if we want to give everybody the same, does it mean we take something away from some people to give it to others? Um, and that is deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And I really think that the only way that we can engage in that honestly is to actually walk that path together um, and to, to be able to do some of that handover in a, in a gracious manner uh, and recognizing that it is, it's an inevitability um, you know, that it is, it is just the, you, you can't stand in the way of the force of history and change and where, the, and where we are going as a country. But you can choose to engage with it in a way that is not threatening and that is not fueled by fear. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to take my prerogative and look at some of these questions here. Um, you'll see them yourself. 
the salary issue has been mentioned. I'll, I think I'll not go through into that one. Uh, Shivani actually made a suggestion about voting. Um, I think that is definitely something that should be taken into account. By the way, just because we don't necessarily get to each question doesn't mean that it's lost. The issue is that this is the beginning of a conversation. It's not the end of a conversation. It's not even the middle. Um, so maybe the one that I've, I've noticed, I've picked up two there, there's something about black people um, being black students being made more welcome. And, and somebody at one stage said, can we get to the real questions? Um, perhaps it's a bit difficult to know what the real questions are, but my question, perhaps if I'm taking that, is how, what is it about what we're doing now which is falling short? In other words, if the profession was taking seriously this issue of transformation, what would we be doing that's different from now? Uh, and, and maybe I can, I can put it to the two here. I mean, you're in academia, and you know what's happening in business. Um, what, what is it that we as a profession are simply far, far, far behind on? Uh, so just name it. What, what are we doing? Or what are we not doing? this one first, but I, I don't feel I can do much more than reiterate the points that she made at, um, at the end of her talk, in particular inclusion and conversations. Um, for me, the, the, the fundamental fail, I think there are some excellent transformation efforts that are being made on behalf of corporates in South Africa, uh, on behalf of the actuarial society in South Africa. My perspective, and this is my perspective as a white male member of the profession, is that the overwhelming majority of those uh, are formulated and designed by people like me for the benefit of people who don't look like me. If there's one area in which we could radically improve, it would be to ensure the inclusion of more voices in the design of those things so that the people for whose benefit they are designed are actually involved in thinking about what they should look like. And the only way we do that is through dialogue, through facilitation of the sorts of difficult, but I think enlightening conversations that Shivani referred to. So, so I think the one thing that I would add to that, and it actually ties in with the, the issue of allowing, um, uh, opening up the criteria for committees and allowing different voting. I think we have to recognize that if we look at fellow actuaries, we're talking majority white, majority male. If we look at student actuaries, it's a, it's a, it's a different picture. Um, and it's, you know, so there, there are lots of arguments you could make that, well, it's not appropriate for students to vote for the president because, you know, it's still, there'll be issues of, uh, I don't know, educational policy or, you know, something like that. There are arguments, I guess, that you could make that, that, that it's not appropriate. But we have to look at our particular context and where we are right now and to say that there are a group of people who we could give a voice to that maybe you wouldn't otherwise do in a more mature situation, but that we can open up that. So I mean, so, so the, the curriculum one for me is a very important one. And that isn't, you know, so it, it wouldn't make sense to me if we had a group of white people who got around and sat around a table and redesigned our curriculum. It has to come from lived experience. I, I felt when I taught at UCT that I wasn't equipped. Right? I, haven't, I haven't lived in a township. I, haven't, like, I don't come from the same cultural context as the majority of South Africans. For me to teach funeral insurance, I, it's not, the best conversations I had in the classroom was when it was elicited from the students themselves because they could share a real lived experience uh, with, their, with their peers 
uh, and the learning happened in that way. So we have to, we just have to set aside some of these hierarchies and put aside some of our things about, you know, who, who is entitled to an opinion um, and give, an, give a voice to some of the people that, that otherwise wouldn't have one. Okay, thank you. Um, I did ask a question. There's two more people. Uh, there's one over here, and maybe a mic can go to the back as well. Oh, sorry, you've got the mic. Well, if you've got the mic, go for it. <laughs> um, this is just to try and answer part of your question um, for, from my perspective. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm at UCT, um, Joe Lukitka. Um, and it's, it's just one of the ways, and very much ties in with what, what you were saying there in the front. Um, it's this, this idea about between corporations seeing transformation as producing more black people who can fit into the workplace and act like the white people that we already have there, or recognizing that we could have black people who come into the workplace and change the way that workplace works and what, and even being able to imagine what that looks like. And it's, for, for me, the, the, the example of that has been when I, when I sit with my students, I meet my students for the first time in, in fourth year or, 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 and, and start engaging with them. And there's black students who sit in my class and I feel like they, they, they don't feel at home and they, they're shy and they, they're closed in. And when they say something, it doesn't quite resonate and they're not quite comfortable with what we're saying and they never kind of find the track and then eventually you have a social function thank you liberty uh, we have a social function and 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 i see these students outside of that environment just being amongst themselves and they open up and suddenly you see this is a powerful young man who's at the top of his of his life of his game he's really in in his own skin and i never saw that in the academic context, and I don't know whether they'll see it at work or when, when he'll be able to actually be like that at work, and that's what I'd like. And I'm hogging the space, and you should be reading those because those people are getting angry. No, no, <laughs> no I have read them, um, and uh, um, there are issues around. I've read the ones that I've seen which are different from the ones in the room. Um, there are, for example, issues around one question which has arisen is about bursaries. There was a big issue about financing, but there are many other issues which go into this. I did point out one person at the front. Unfortunately, I think we're, we're more or less... Sorry, there's, there's also... So if, if we've got two mics, one at the front... Oh, you, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut you off. Um, let's, let's have one person there at the front and then that person at the back, and then this conversation will be continued, believe me. Um, hi, David Shivani. Uh, I was a student of yours at UCT. Um, I'll keep this very brief because a lot of other people probably want to say something. Um, you op Shivani, you opened with a quote from uh, Stoppard about the importance of words, and um, I do think a big part of it is what you did today, which was just to cut through a lot of the buzzwords and just say what's really happening and what also Joe did just now. Um, so I just want to say thank you for that. It's appreciated. Yeah. Um, at the back. Hi. Uh, hello. <clears throat> I just wanted to uh, comment on the question that you asked about what should the profession do. Um, I had a look at the Asaba website, and um, sure. before I get there, to, uh, to answer the, the lady who asked about us uh, offending white males, it's probably been set up there, but um, we're not out to destroy white males, but we are, to, we are out to destroy white male normativity. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be apologetic about that. Um, but back to my point, um, I was looking at the Asaba website, and it seems to, it, it seems to me that Asaba uh, problematized uh, transformation back in the day when it, was, when it started, 
and the fundamental problem that, was, that we wanted to address is the actual profession was not known and there were no role models. Um, and so they, 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 they created targeted programs that went out into schools, created awareness about the actual profession and that sort of thing. But um, I think the problem has changed. Like Shivani correctly says, um, when you look at the student population, the, demogra the demographic has changed. But the problem is when you get into the workplace, there are all of these uh, disparities that need to be problematized and then um, things, like, things like salaries, things like the fact that when uh, black, black people get into the, to corporate South Africa, they're pretty much unhirable because they get into roles where they're doing you know, data cleanups or experience investigations and they can't be upskilled. Um, and so I think um, from a practical, pr practical perspective, Asaba needs to look at those sorts of things, problematize them, and then think of programs to address those things. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, we're running out of time here, um, and I'm already being abused by the people outside, <laughs> which, which is fine. That's, uh, I've, 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 I've been abused. I've been abused. Sorry, I've been abused for most of my life. I've been hearing um, so, my voice frantically. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give voice to, I think, there's, is it the president of Asaba who's in the room? Um, I'll ask him to, 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 to make his comment. And then I'm going to ask the president of the Actuarial Society to, to, uh, to just make one final comment, and then I'll close. As I said, um, I'm sorry that I haven't been able to put all. I think this format is very problematic. But we will, the, these issues are there. And we are definitely going to have to publish each of these questions. And I think it will be important for us as a profession, not just as a working committee somewhere, but for us to be engaging in these questions. Um, clearly, how many questions have we got? We've got 24 questions. I can only see the, the, the five that were at the top. Um, I don't know how many are underneath. But please go ahead um, and, and give us uh, your wisdom. Okay. Uh, firstly, I take that point, uh, and then we'll try, we'll try to address that um, as the president of Asaba. Uh, but just to, to make a comment, I think some of the initiations or some of the what ASA can do is it, it's very deliberate and it can start even now like very small things um, for example if you look at the, the program the convention program if you look at all the chairs they're all white and stuff like that can be deliberate like we cannot do that because when you walk into the room what you see it's a it's, it's the, 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 the image that Shivani has, has been talking about being perpetuated, okay? And secondly, one of my biggest issues is that um, it's going back to, to universities now, um, where the actual prof uh, profession has a student trust which supports your, your, your university lecturers, obviously. But then if we need to be really deliberate about transformation, um, we've got universities, sorry to name the university, Stellenbosch, where they've got z close to zero intake of black students, and they still get support from the institution, from ASA. If really ASA is, is really, really serious about this thing, they can cut off any funding from that. That's my comment. Or um, Roseanne can comment on that. Okay, thanks very much. I'm, I'm really sorry about this. Well, I think we should really simply have had like an hour's session of, of discussion. I don't know how you'd run it, probably with a panel. But it's a start. And I think the point that we should go away with is that this is a big issue. Um, it, to me, reminds me of, for example, Brexit. To me, Brexit was about, and, and, and Trump, was about uh, a, a bimodal distribution. The problem of dealing with biomodal distributions. You've got one group of people with strong views here, one group of people with strong views here, 
and on average one has superseded the other. But if one rises, suddenly the whole thing tips because of the strength of the views. So we live in a society which is, if you like, in, a, in, a, in a, an unstable equilibrium, and I think we should, we should, uh, we should really address this issue. I'd like to ask uh, the president to come up and, uh, and, and sort of uh, give, his, give her views. Thanks, Timber. Well, I must say I do feel, um, I do feel quite emotional because, um, you know, watching you speak, Shivani, um, I really do admire your bravery. I mean, everyone who speaks at a convention is very brave, but, um, to, but to speak from the heart is particularly brave. It's easy to talk about stuff, but it's, it's harder to talk about these issues. And I, I think it's very important that we do talk about these issues. I guess that's almost like a gender thing. You know, we don't need to solve the problem. Actually, talking about it is often just part of the solution. And I'm not sure that this is a problem that we can solve. We're not going to certainly solve it in this room in these few minutes that we have here, which is why I think it is very important that this conversation does continue in forums where people can be heard, where everyone has a chance to speak and not to be rushed. And, um, and I think that's something that I can certainly undertake to, to perpetuate. And, um, and I'm really pleased that as discomforting as it is, if that's, you know, as, as Shivani stated, one of the um, one of the outcomes here is, is, is feeling uncomfortable. Well, I certainly do feel uncomfortable, but, but I think that that's a good thing um, because that's, that's, how we, that's how we move and that's how we change by not being comfortable. So, um, so thank you for making us feel uncomfortable. I think everyone here should be feeling uncomfortable. Um, and, and I, but I hope that, that's, that, that it's, it's this inertia or this inertia that we have can now we can have a momentum that's going to move forward and have these honest conversations. And, and I'm certainly not going to try and give answers and, um, and, and be defensive in any way because I don't think that what we have is defendable. It's a case that we have to find a way that we move forward. But I think it is very important, though, that we do that in a way that respects everyone's dignity. I mean, we don't, you don't create happiness by, by, by taking happiness away from someone else, and you don't create dignity by taking dignity away from someone else. So I think it's quite important that we do it in a way that we do respect everyone's position, but that doesn't mean that we have to let them feel comfortable. So thank you to both of you for the work that you've, you've done and everyone who's contributed here today, and certainly this is not... As, as Winston Churchill said, it's not the, uh, it's not the, be the, the end, it's not the beginning of the end, <laughs> but maybe it's the end of the beginning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, um, we've got another session now, so I'm going to dismiss you, but I think that the one take home is be diversity seeking. Deliberately bring diversity into your conversation. Talk to people you've never talked to Listen to them. Listen to that pain. Listen to their pain. Because a lot of this is about how people feel. And I think once we tap into that, we can actually then build a future that is common and that is acceptable to both of us. So go for it. Thank you. Thank you.